Welcome to this morning service, and we're in the season of Lent, and I know that uh, you have enjoyed this whole week of Lent, and of course, we are now in the book of the Revelations, and it's about the seven churches. I think last week, Pastor Chu did such a good overview of the seven churches, and I know that Aaron did amazing understanding of the revelation of Jesus Christ, even to his churches, and so I won't be doing much about the introduction to the church of Ephesus, I'm going to plunge straight in to this passage of scripture in Revelation chapter 2, and we're going to read together from verse 1 right up to verse 7. So will you join me? To the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked men, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favour, you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Father Lord, we thank you so much that you still want to speak to us, even in today's church age. And truly, Lord, may we hear what the Spirit is saying to us, and maybe pay attention to the questions you ask, O oh Lord God. So even as we come this morning and begin to learn from these words that you give to the church at Ephesus, truly, O oh Lord God, may we also have ears that can hear so that we can overcome and eat of the tree of life. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. The letter to the seven churches starts with the Church of Ephesus. And as we know, Ephesus was a central city, an influential city, and the Church of God in Ephesus was certainly very blessed because here in Ephesus is where Paul spent three years teaching them, guiding them, admonishing them, setting up a powerful church that would be very influential. Timothy became the bishop of Ephesus, and even the apostle Paul, uh, sorry, the apostle John stayed in Ephesus towards the last part of his years. So the church of Ephesus became one of the most influential churches, one of the most important churches outside Jerusalem. So let's see what Jesus has to say to this church in Ephesus. And he describes himself as the one who holds in his right hand the seven golden, uh, seven stars. You know, this church has done really well. So let's look at what this church is well known for. In verse two, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. So the first thing that this church had was perseverance, hard work. They worked hard for the things of God. They served hard. Secondly, they had perseverance. That means they did not give up easily. Thirdly, they were known for their purity. You know, there were false prophets even from the time of John the Apostle, which is why Paul warned them that wolves in sheep clothing would come to the church in Ephesus. And the Apostle Paul, John writes in his epistle to John, he wrote, beware of false teachers. 
And the church at Ephesus could really separate the wolves from the sheep. And because of that, they were known for their purity of doctrine. And one more thing they had, they never grew weary. They never grew tired of serving the Lord. What a wonderful church, right? I think about it. Hey, this is a church who has hard work. This is a church that would persevere, that would never give up. And this is a church that has purity of doctrine. And it's a church that never grew weary. Why then would Jesus say the next word? This is what the Spirit began to say to the church. Yet I have this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Wow. You know, as I was reading this this morning, I began to understand this of Jesus as the bridegroom of the church, the bride. You know the word hold. I hold the seven stars. It's a very powerful word. My understanding and the picture God gave me was this. Imagine the bridegroom and he comes to look for his bride and he holds the bride in his hands and looks at her with the blazing eyes. Now, Revelation 1 tells us Jesus in the seven churches goes to them with eyes of blazing fire, right? Feet of burnished bronze. Now, the blazing fire is one of passion. Imagine now the bride comes to the bridegroom and says, you know what? I have washed your clothes. I have cooked your dishes. I have mopped the floor. I've done all this hard work. But the bridegroom looks into the eyes of the bride and says, where is your love? Where is your love? That is why the title of today's sharing about the church in Ephesus. What is it that the Spirit of God wants us to hear? I feel the Lord is saying to me, I'm going to ask you, where is your love? I'm going to ask my church, where is your love? You know, the other picture I get is of a father holding on to a son. Remember the word hold? Holding on to a son. And this son wants to run away from the father. And the father holds on to the son. And the son may turn to the father and say, Father, I have scored seven A's. I have done all these things for you. I have washed your car. I have done all these things. Then, here am I. It reminds me of my father. <laughs> my father once wrote to me and to all of us children a letter that I will never forget. He, in the letter, he basically said, you know what? You have bought me expensive presents. You have even tried to, I, I'm proud of you. You are, a, you are a doctor, I have a doctor, I have a lawyer, I have an accountant, I have a financial banker. But then he said, but I don't know where is your love. I will never forget that letter. This is what the church of Ephesus had to face. This is what the Spirit is saying to the church in Ephesus and to all of us. Where is your love? The bridegroom turns to the bride. Yes, you have done all this, but where is your love? Imagine me going to Pastor Chiu and says, you know, I helped you build the church. I look after your children. I cook your dishes. He will look at me and says, where is your love? Why is love so important? Without love, hard work becomes performance. Perseverance becomes pride. Purity becomes self-righteousness. And the worst thing is the church can become a platform to serve our interests instead 
of the interest of Jesus Christ. You know, when I think about performance, I'm very good at performance because I was brought up to understand performance as being important to my mother. And so when I think about the musicals that I've done, that we have all done, it required performance. But for every one of those musicals, the Lord would search my heart. What is all this hard work about? Is it about a perfect musical or is it about me? Do you love me as you do these things? Because hard work by itself leads to stress. And that is not what the Lord desires most of His church. Neither does the one a church that is just full of pride because they persevered hard. You know, I remember that many of us, when we work very hard for the Lord, Something of an arrogance rises within us and not only with arrogance comes anger. How come these people are not serving as hard as me? Do you know what that is? It's pride. It's pride and arrogance. And then, doctrine, purity of doctrine. I come from a church way back when I was in Jalan Imbi Chapel that's well known for purity of doctrine because the founder, John Nelson Darby, believed in pure doctrine. He started off well. He started off by loving the Lord and wanting to build holiness into the church. But by the time he just focused on pure doctrine, brethrenism, it is said, became the greatest schism of the church. Why? Because everybody in his eyes was not pure enough and the church was greatly divided. Much as God wants us to have purity of doctrine, when purity of doctrine is the only thing we focus on, it leads to self-righteousness and legalism. And because of that, the church will lose its weariness. One of the saddest things when I hear of all the scandals that has happened in the church of God is when we turn the church into a platform for our own self-glory. And I could not help but look at this verse in verse 4. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken your first love. Remember the height from which you have fallen. Remember how far you have gone from me. Remember, I feel the Lord saying, almost with tears in his eyes, Church, that's not what I'm looking for. Don't turn my church into a platform for your own self-glory, even to promote a denomination, even to promote your doctrines. The church is still belongs to God and is the bride of Christ. That is why we need to ask ourselves, why was the Lord, the first thing He addressed was love. Why is love so important to the church of God? Because everything God did for us is because of love. And everything we must do for the Lord must overflow from this love. And lastly, we are talking about overcoming, right? Love alone overcomes all. Love never fails. So let's look at what is it that God did for us. What, where do we find His love? So simple, right? God saved us because He loved us. Secondly, God raised us to be with Christ because He loved us. Thirdly, He corrects us because He loves us. In fact, do you know something? If you don't believe that God loves you, you will never be able to take this correction. If you don't read the corrections of God in the, to the seven churches through the lens of a father who loves a son, you would never be able to change, we would never be able to change our wrong behavior. That's why. Not only that, 
God says to us, until you are rooted and established in my love, you cannot grow as a believer. So what does it mean? John 3.16 For God so loved the world. The first thing we must remember today is this. God so loved the world. Now you notice that today we didn't do communion, right? Because I tell you what, we are going to do communion at the end. We're going to remind ourselves the cup of communion is of a bridegroom and a bride. And he's saying, as we take communion afterwards, at the end of today's sermon, the Lord is going to say to us, do you love me? And we're going to look into his eyes and say, you have loved me so much because you saved me, because you loved me. Amen? So remember, don't go away at the end of the sermon. We're going to do communion together. If you've forgotten, quickly in between, run and get your communion emblems. We'll give you time. Don't worry. Second thing is this beautiful verse in Ephesians chapter 2. Turn with me. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 2. I hope you don't mind. We're going to look at some passages of Scripture. In Ephesians chapter 2, I love this verse. I love this verse. Verse 4. Because of His great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. And then verse 6, And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. What does it mean? God, verse 4, who is rich in love because of His great love. And His great love is, ex is exemplified by his, the abundance of His mercy, by the richness of His mercy. You know, I want you all on your, uh, in your chats to type this verse. Because of His great love, say it to ourselves, because of His great love, I was dead. I was like a dry bone. You know, some of us feel like we're dry bones. Some of us look at ourselves and say, oh, I, I just don't know where I am going. Uh, I, I don't even know what it means to be a, a Christian. Do you know something? It's not what we can do for God that makes us great. It's what God wants to do in us that will raise us to another level of relationship with Him. While we were still dead, not even knowing left from right, but because of His great love, God raised us up. He breathed life into us. He brought us to Himself and then He put us in a position to seat us with Christ in the heavenly realm. The whole of the letters to the seven churches is about overcoming that deadness in our life so that God can take us to our full potential to Him who overcomes. Here's a father that longs for his son to reach his full potential, to be able to overcome everything. To him who overcomes, he will eat of the tree of life. To him who overcomes, I will get him in, in, in Laodicea church to sit with me in my throne. To him who overcomes, he will rule over the nations. To him who overcomes, I'll give him the hidden manna. This is what the Lord who loves us long to give to us, the hidden manna, the right of authority over nations, sitting with him in the heavenly realm and abiding with him eating from the tree of life. This is the good news of why love is important. Thirdly, why is love important? So that when He corrects us, He's correcting us as a father who loves His Son. As a father who loves His Son. He says, the Lord only disciplines those He loves. You know, when you go back, go and read this whole section again. If a person, a child, is never disciplined by the father, 
It's actually called an illegitimate child. But do you know something? Because he loves us, he will have to correct us. Why does he correct us? To bring out the best in us. Just like any parent would want to correct out our children. Why do we correct our children? Because we love them. We don't want them to lose their destiny. We don't want to lose them to lose their full potential. Jesus doesn't want us to be overcome. He wants us to overcome, not to be overcome. That's why in love, as you as you're going to go through the seven churches, look at every reprimand of the Lord through the eyes and the lens of His love. Do you know something? The next most important part is in Ephesians chapter 3. Turn with me to Ephesians chapter 3. You know, when I came to be filled with the Holy Spirit, the Lord taught me a very important principle. I know you have heard this story before. There was one morning I was sitting at the, my place spending time with the Lord. Actually, from the moment I was filled with the Holy Spirit in 1984, the Lord literally drew me into Himself with cords of love. So I would wake up very early in the morning and sit facing the window and just literally worship Him, love Him, and hear His words to me. And I remembered one morning, the wind was blowing very, very powerful and strong, and there was a tree in front of me. It was a very thin tree, not those big trees, a thin tree. It was being blown by the wind, swaying left and right. But that tree remained steady. And the Lord said to me, Child, look at that tree. And then says, Now look at Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, 18, and 19. So I'm going to read Ephesians chapter 3, verse 17, 18, and 19. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you will be rooted and established in love. Everybody write down, rooted and established in love. That means your roots will grow deep, 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 deep into the soil of God's love so that you may have power, verse 18, together with all the saints of old to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Basically, this is what the Lord began to teach me. He says, listen, listen carefully. If you want to really grow as a believer, if you want to really understand how to walk with me, one of the things I love is Enoch, right? Enoch walked with God until God just loved him so much and took him straight to heaven. I hope that's the story of my life, but never mind. <laughs> yeah, I know, we all long for that, right? But one thing God said to me, in order for you to be able to overcome things and hurdles in your life in order for me to be able to process you and to transform you from where you are now into someone that would be able to please me. You must be rooted and anchored in my love. In fact, the Lord said to me, you must be so rooted in my love that beyond a measure of doubt, 500%, you need to believe no matter what happens to your life, that I love you, I will never leave you nor forsake you and I am for you and not against you. Wow. Why was that so important? Because for the next 20 years or more, even now of my life, sometimes God has to process me. And when God processes me, He brings out things hidden in my heart that I'm ashamed about, that I'm shocked about. Now, God can never transform a person if the person closes up. How can we allow God to deal with the deceitfulness of our heart, the pride within our lives? if he doesn't expose it. But we will never let him expose that unless 
we believe He's a good God, He loves us, and He's not here to mutilate our lives, but He's here to grow us into a beautiful bride. That is why I've always allowed, painful as it is, I've allowed God to dissect me, the inner bowels of my life. Secondly, the Lord says, do you know what? My love will never be understood in one sitting. Look at verse 18. So that you may have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide, how long, how high, how deep is the love of Christ. In other words, it's a progressive, progressive revelation of God's love. Not only must we for, never forget love, but God wants to in, in, really impart more and more of His love to take us from one level of knowing Him to another level until there's a depth of love deep inside us. You know, I want to share this again. Why are we taking communion only at the end? You know, we've been doing 52 days on the prayer wall. You might think that the 52 days on the prayer wall is all about COVID. No, it's also a season to allow the love of God to unravel Himself into us. I'll never forget how one of the sisters at the end of the 52 days shared this wonderful thing with me. She said, as I took my, every night she did communion with the Lord every night because it's a love meal. It's a love meal. And she said, on one of the nights when I took communion, the Lord said to her, a drop of my blood is sufficient to annul every unholy altar, every spirit of witchcraft, every generational sin, every defilement that of the generations. Wow. When I heard that, no wonder Paul then goes on to write, that you may have a love that surpasses knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. You know, I'm going through quite a terrifying season. You may have heard me talk about building this United, Malaysian United 24-7 firewall. Well, there's something that a few of us felt the Lord was saying to His church in Malaysia to come together to do. But because it is so hard to do and we don't know what we're doing and God is so much wanting us to follow Him step by step, it has become a difficult journey. Yet in the midst of that, my greatest fear was this. I'm not a spiritual warfare person and I'm actually scared of demons and all these things. It was in the midst of that journey that the Lord spoke to me. Do you not believe that my perfect love casts out fear? And he began to say to me, do you know in this season, everyone is talking about the book of Revelations, right? And that Pastor Chu is going to preach on the book of Revelations and everyone says, who is 666? Is this the mark of the beast? What would Antichrist look like? And I felt the Lord just say this to me deep within me this morning. Please do not focus on the beast and the Antichrist and the 666. Focus on Jesus Christ. And then he led me to this beautiful verse in Revelations 12, verse 11 actually, how will we be able to overcome? All these things are going to come. Very simple. Revelation 12, verse 11. And they overcame him through the blood of the Lamb and through the word of their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much as to shrink from death. And that is why the Lord began to say to me, if you are going to be a church that can overcome the pressure that's coming onto the world. Love me so much that even death, you're not afraid. Because even in death, the Lord said to me, you have still overcome because I have overcome.
You know, last week, Pastor Chu shared about this wonderful map of the, where the churches were and how he said Pergamon was where the throne of Satan was. And as I looked at his map and I saw the map, I, you know, those of us who are not me, but those great intercessors said, wow, that is called a spiritual power line. Pergamon controls all the other churches. But here were two churches, Smyrna and Philadelphia, that was not overcome by the throne of Satan. How come? Smyrna loved Jesus so much that they were not afraid of death. Philadelphia was a church of brotherly love, which brings me to my next point. Why is love so important? Not just because everything God does is because of love, but everything we do must flow out from love, must flow out from love. What is there to prevent the church from becoming our individual platforms? 1 Corinthians 13. It says to us, you know, when I think about 1 Corinthians 13, the great chapter on love, if I can preach sermons and prophesy and have the tongues of angels, but I have not love, I'm like a tom tom chang, tom tom chang, empty symbol, sounding gong, no value at all. And if I can give all that I have to the poor, all I have to the refugees, to the, to the, to the, to the foreign workers, and I even give my body to be burned, but I don't have love, what kind of thing is that? Huh? It would be, right? Or if I can move mountains, hey, it will move mountains, resurrect the dead, everything. But I don't have love. There's an emptiness to it. Without love, everything we do is a waste of time. But I love 1 Corinthians 13. Let's just quickly look at it, all right? Let's just quickly look at it. In 1 Corinthians 13, you see the heartbeat of the Apostle Paul. You see, the Apostle Paul looks at the church and he keeps reminding them that the most important thing is still love. So he says in 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind. It does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it is not rude, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs, love does not delight in evil but rejoices with the truth, it always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres, love never fails. So when we look at that, and we look at the church today, and as I shared with you, one of the greatest sadness in God's heart is that men have used the church as a platform for self, self-promotion, self-ideas, self-opinions. What made Paul not do that? Ah, it lies in these verses. You know, Paul says in his book, uh, in one of the epistles, some preach Christ out of envy and jealousy. Some preach Christ just to provoke Paul, some preach Christ out of selfish ambition. And then he says this, but for me, I don't care why they preach Christ and for what purpose they preach Christ, as long as they preach Christ. What was he promoting? He was promoting Jesus Christ. Everything he did flowed out of a heart of love for the Lord. But when there is no promotion of Jesus Christ, there is self-promotion. Self-promotion will cause us to be rude, impatient, unkind. When people don't follow us, when people don't respect us, honor us, we'll be upset with them. We have no patience with them. We will be proud of what we achieve. We will even be self-seeking. Our opinions alone matter and everybody else's doesn't. That's why there's no room. There's no room to accommodate anyone. And that's why we're easily angered, easily triggered, easily offended. And that is what 
the Lord is saying to us, you know, as I talked about the Malaysian United Firewall, the hard part in all this is to bring the body of Christ, the bride of Christ, to learn to love one another, honor one another, to treat others as more important than themselves, to always love, always, you see, says here, does not delight in evil, but in the truth, always protect one another, always trust and believe the best in one another, always even hope and want to believe and always persevere together to bring out the gospel of Jesus Christ. That church will never fail. That is why love is what will help us to overcome. You know that Apostle Paul, when he wrote the book of Ephesians, he ended with this verse. Turn with me, Ephesians chapter 6, one of my favorite verses. You know, I think, was it last year or the, that year when we did the book of Ephesians? When I came to Ephesians chapter 6 and I looked at this verse, I cried. Because here is the Apostle Paul in prison, about to die, and he writes to the church at Ephesus and he says this, Peace to, verse 23, Peace to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and Lord Jesus Christ. And verse 24, Grace to all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with an undying love. In some versions, it's grace to love Jesus with an uncorruptible love, to love Jesus in NKJB with a sincere love. TPT, the Passion Version, writes this, May God's grace be eternally upon all who love our Lord with an undying love. Wow! What is an undying love? An undying love, what is an, it's an incorruptible love, it's a pure love. Why does love conquer all? Because love is the purest of all motives. You see, as I was contributing to with, together with some of my other church, people from other churches, to build this Malaysian United Prayer Wall, only this morning before coming to share all this, I was very, I was literally crying because I found it to be so hard. I found that there were so many multiple questions asked to me. Why are you all doing this? How long will this uh, prayer wall last? Uh, what will you do? And everything. And of course, the word, how long will it last? So some of us who are doing this say, oh, we'll just do it for three months. And then the Lord said this to me. Can you only love me for only three months? What is the motive of why you're doing this? And I just cried. Because this question has been asked to me all the time. From the time I was in Sabah and had to leave Sabah to go to Bible school to the time I came to KL and had to start the church with only 15 people to the many trials and many times when things didn't get right in our church. Every time I met a problem, the Lord would come to me and, and to Pastor Chu and say, why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? What is your motive? And we always replied, we held each other's hand and says, Jesus, because we love you, because we love you, we love you. You know, I've been extremely inspired by the stories of men who love the Lord so much. I was reading and thinking about John Sung. John Sung was a brilliant, brilliant academician and Bible scholar. And he could have become the most famous Christian theologian that ever lived. But as he sailed from America back towards China, holding all the accolades, the PhDs, doctorates that he had obtained, he looked at his doctorates 
as I said, all these mean nothing to God but the love of God. And he tore up his doctrines and he cast it into the sea. And he told himself, I'm going back to China because I love the Lord. And I love what God loves in China. And do you know John Sung impacted even Malaysia? Stiawan, Cebu is a fruit of his work. I'm also reminded of Dr. David Livingston. Dr. David Livingston went to Africa. You see, in those days, people are not interested in platforms. He was totally unknown until the great journalist Stanley went to look for him. Nobody knew of Dr. David Livingston. But he went from one part, from, from what is now Kenya, and he went right across to Lake Victoria, sharing the gospel. And even as he became very, very sick, and he was, he should have gone back to England. As he went, as his wife came to see him, and the wife had to go back to England, but she too was sick. And as the wife left him in Africa, the wife wrote this, I knew I could never persuade him to go back to England with me. Because here was a man, wow, here was a man who loved his Lord so much and loved Africa so much that he was not willing to do anything except lay down his life for Africa. It is said of Dr. David Livingston, he loved Africa so much that when the queen decided to bury him, in the king, I think, not the queen, the king decided to bury him in Westminster Abbey, the people of Africa said to them, can we have his heart? So they cut out his heart and buried it in Africa. And his servant brought his body all the way from Lake Victoria back to Kenya. Before we take communion, I want to read the words of the song. As I was doing the Lent devotions, the words of this song came to me when I surveyed the wondrous cross on which the King of Glory died. My richest gain I count but loss and pour contempt on all my pride. The church of Ephesus was so proud that it was pure, it was persevering, it has hard work. But here was this song that says, I pour contempt on all my pride. And the second verse says, Were the whole realm of nature mine, it would be an offering far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my life, my soul, my all. Let's worship, shall we? Let's worship before we take communion. I'm going to invite Madeline to lead us in the beautiful words of this song. You know, I, I want to pray that even before we take communion, hold the hand of your loved ones next to you and just say to them, I love you. Because loving one another is what God means as well. Not only do we, when we come to communion, it's not just about God loves us, but He wants us to overflow with that love for the person next to us. And I also want you to do this one more thing. Would you love Malaysia? You know, when I thought about Dr. David Livingston, he left his heart in Africa. I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, he left his heart in Africa and he's not an African. Would you leave your heart in Malaysia? Would you give Malaysia your heart? So even as we take off this bread, and as I break it, and as we eat it, we're going to just praise and thank the Lord that He was broken, that we might be made whole. Amen? We'll just give thanks for the bread first. Almighty God, 
I give thanks to you for this bread that reminds me of the broken body of Jesus Christ. You gave your all, Lord Jesus. We can only love because we have experienced your love. Father, even as this whole month, you are taking us through the season of Lent to meditate on Jesus Christ. May we never forget, because God so loved the world, He gave His only Son so that I, together with everyone in Malaysia, would not perish but have everlasting life. So Lord, thank you. Thank you for your gift of love. Let's take the bread together. And now let's take the cup. I shall never forget that this cup represents the anguish of my father's heart for lost souls. I shall also not forget that one drop of this blood is enough to send the demons fleeing. And one drop of this blood is enough to cleanse us even from deep generational sins. And one drop of this blood is sufficient to annul all the unholy covenants that evil people or even those who don't know Jesus has committed with evil spirits. One drop of this blood overcomes Satan. Amen. Heavenly Father, because of your great love, God who is rich in mercy, raised us up with Christ and seated us with Him in the heavenly realm. Lord Jesus, this is a cup of betrothal. And you truly say to us and ask us, do you love me more than this? Holy Spirit, you're saying to us, hear what I'm asking you. Do you love Jesus? Do you love God the Father? Do you love Him more than this? As we drink of this cup, Holy Spirit, enable us to love Jesus with an undying love, uncorruptible love, pure love, a love that will sustain us through difficult times because love never fails. So Heavenly Father, we thank you for this love that will never fail. Today, as we drink of this cup, we declare to you we love you, Jesus. We love you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Help us to love you. Give us the grace to love you, even to the very end, even to the very end. And help us to love one another. Help us to love one another because everything rises and falls on love. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's drink of the cup. And now, Lord, to Him who is able to keep us from falling and to present us before His throne, blameless and with exceeding great joy, to the bridegroom who is going to present the bride before the Father, be glory, power, majesty, honour 
and praise forevermore. Amen. God bless you. God bless you. May you have a wonderful week ahead.